1961, I was an undergraduate taking psychology classes. And very much like Kelly, I wanted to do what he did and didn't, I didn't do. Because at that time, mission agencies really weren't interested in psychology. In fact, they were paranoid about psychology. Well, you have a panel here of people, all of whom are interested in mental health and missions. And I'd like to briefly introduce you to them. And then they will speak out of their experience and in response to uh, Dr. Kelly's pre uh, Dr. O'Donnell's presentation. Hannah Sheen is a fifth-year student, clinical psychology student. She's doing her dissertation on data that she has collected in Nairobi on the, the post-election violence. Um, we've had a number of students going internationally to do both internships and also to engage in research. Desiree joined the faculty in 2007 as an assistant professor, and she's working in the area of children at risk. Before that, she lived in San Jose, Costa Rica, where she was adjunct faculty in the Center for Cross-Cultural Ministries. Christopher Rosick is a graduate of the University of Oregon, but more importantly is a graduate of the Fuller Clinical Psychology Program. <laughs> and he has been a part of that organization that Kelly mentioned, namely LinkCare, and he's been there for the last 18 years and serves as a psychologist there and director of research. And finally, Dave Scott is a PhD student in the School of Intercultural Studies and also adjunct faculty in that uh, school. Um, he teaches in the program Children at Risk. Let me begin by inviting each of you to respond, four or five minutes. I will be taskmaster and wave when you've got a minute or so left and uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say, as does Kelly. So, Dave, why don't you begin? Sure. Well, first of all, I'd just like to thank Kelly for the work that you've been doing for quite a few years now. Uh, it's certainly had an impact on the way I understand my own mission experience, and I think it's influenced a lot of people that I work with. So I just want to thank you for that. I also want to thank you and, and recognize the, the ethne to ethne, the, the approach that recognizes the non-West and its important in missions today. Um, I think even here and now, that's often neglected in our thinking about what mission is really all about. And so I think that's an important thing that we don't want to forget in this conversation this evening. And as we think about mission, how many uh, non-Western people, how many from those uh, 4A contexts are involved in mission in their own context? Um, I, I've had the opportunity a couple of different times to observe what it's like because I've, I've been working with an organization called Viva, formerly Viva Network. We're a, we're a group that networks Christian ministries working with children at risk. In fact, we, we really emerged uh, around the same time as uh, Interdev, which is Ernie, uh, Eddie Atticott and also Phil but, uh, Phil. Butler um, were involved in starting the whole idea of partnerships between different agencies. My own focus was on groups that were working with children at risk. And in fact, one of the things that's somewhat distinctive in that is that Viva emerged not primarily as a partnership of large international agencies. I think we often think of that a lot when we think about member care because those are the kinds of that's the kind of infrastructure that's necessary a lot of time to deliver the kind of member care we're talking about here. 
Um, but the groups that we really started with in, in Viva's background are the little uh, Patrick McDonald, our founder, like to talk about them as mom and pop shops. <laughs> there were the, the little projects working with street kids, and, and that's all it is. It's just a little, they put a sign out in front and they start working with kids. So the idea for, of self-care for them often is, is quite a distant idea when they first get started. And uh, the role of networks in that is extremely important. And I would encourage you to take a look at that because that is a place where support is deeply needed. It's, it's a great opportunity for people to come together and try to support each other that are doing very difficult work. So trying to find ways to understand that, and yet even in those contexts, there is a need for professional support. There are things that exceed the capacity of those people. They need that specialist care that the model that uh, Kelly presented requires. So I just wanted to point that. The other thing that I wanted to reflect on, uh, Kelly mentioned the importance of uh, rights as an, a way to look at uh, member care and something that any aid workers need to really understand, especially from, I think you somewhat furtively said, even Christians need to think about rights. Mm -hmm. um, my own stance is that we have a deep need as Christians to look seriously at rights from a theological perspective. Because I believe, as Thomas Aquinas did, that the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, in order to do that, you first have to love yourself. And the metaphor that I think of is the instructions on the little card on the airplane, mm -hmm. that when the oxygen masks fall, you first have to take care of your own oxygen mask before you can put one on somebody next to you that can't take care of themselves. And I think there's a deep theological truth to that, that we need to ensure that we are taking care of ourselves so that we can help others. So. All right. I, I too, am very appreciative of being given this opportunity uh, to share a little bit, and I have prepared a few remarks just so, in my short time, I actually say what I want to say. Uh, but it was a pleasure to review Dr. O'Donnell's paper and read a short history of member care from a man who has been at the forefront of this field uh, since the beginning, almost. Uh, apart from a few relatively short trips overseas to support uh, local missionaries in the Middle East and Africa, I have mostly witnessed the member care field develop through the eyes of missionaries who for various reasons have had difficulty staying healthy. Uh, I also married a, a missionary, which is actually a very understudied uh, field of uh, missionary attrition. Uh, but, but since 1986, uh, I've served as a psychologist at the Link Care Center in Fresno, uh, which operates a restoration and personal growth program for missionary families that provides an intensive psychological and pastoral care in a community milieu. In recent years, approximately 100 missionaries per year have been referred to our program. Thus, uh, as one who has observed and appreciated from a distance Dr. O'Donnell's ongoing service to help birth uh, the member care field, I find myself having difficulty summoning the chutzpah uh, to critique his account of where this field has been and where it needs to go. However, I will summon a little courage here tonight and offer both an additional treasure as well as a caution regarding some of the treasures Dr. O'Donnell mentioned, actually he didn't mention the two I'm going to critique, mm -hmm. uh, as resources uh, or directions for uh, member care in the future. Uh, firstly, Dr. O'Donnell observed that uh, member care became especially field by the early 1990s. For the most part, he documented the maturation of this field by referencing the spread of member care services, documenting the growing acceptance of these services within the missions community, and establishing through theory and research the need for these services. These developments are all good and well, but I would like to go even further and suggest another treasure 
that psychologists in particular are positioned to offer the member care community and, in fact, I believe, have an obligation to provide for mission organizations. This is the resource of researching member care treatment efficacy. I note that the research studies that Dr. O'Donnell cited in his paper are all descriptive studies that document the stressors experienced by missionaries and validate the need for member care services, all very important. Uh, in my estimation, though, the maturation of member care practice should not merely be measured by an external focus on how many diverse contexts in, in which member care is carried out, but also by the internal reflective examination of how effective our practice of member care actually is. Research documenting the effectiveness of member care services, such as uh, what we're currently conducting at Link Care, is important in reassuring mission organizations and other, other member care providers that we are being good stewards of the funds entrusted to us, which are becoming scarcer all the time. Uh, my other comment is simply to stress the need for those of us in this field to stay on top of the legal and ethical issues as they pertain to mental health practice in the member care environment. Uh, now, I know... Uh, Kelly's going to talk more about this, uh, I think, uh, tomorrow in his third presentation. But what he, a couple of the treasures that he didn't get a chance to mention uh, were uh, the practice of coaching and the use of the Internet and telecommunications. We should be aware that the field of coaching is likely to be uh, regulated in the near future and is being watched very closely by psychology licensing officials who are concerned that psychology is being practiced uh, under another name. In addition, I myself have written about the potential dangers of Internet and telecommunication in the use, uh, use in the provision of member care services uh, by licensed professionals, particularly in areas such as legal li liability, providing psychological services in a jurisdiction for which you are not licensed, information security issues, and the limitations of assessing a person's psychological status uh, via the Internet. To navigate these potential landmines effectively, our field will need to combine the real-world experiences of pioneers like Dr. O'Donnell with professionals who have an expertise in the rapidly evolving legal and ethical environment of mental health practice. Of course, it is a testament to the vision and perseverance uh, of pioneers like Dr. O'Donnell that we are even in a position to raise such concerns, and for that, I am genuinely grateful. Thank you. Hi. Um, Kelly, it's been four years since I first met you as a first-year student, and uh, I'm in my fifth year and still counting, but uh, I just wanted to thank you for your paper and uh, um, for you and Michelle and all the work that you've done. Um, in some ways, around you are the next generation of students that are going to be, uh, we are drawing from your work, and you as are, as a visionary, continue to make all these creative advances that um, hopefully that we can also contribute to um, and be good stewards of what God has done through your family. Um, I think as psychology students in a seminary, we are used to uh, the tensions of what integration means. And uh, I think there are three kind of tensions that I felt that, um, that came out from this paper that um, I don't think can be necessarily resolved, that as we, if anyone wants to do uh, mental health in international contexts across cultures, you have to sit with tensions and ambiguities. So um, I guess there are a few tensions that um, I kind of wanted to touch upon. Um, I think first, uh, when you talked about how member care came out as a movement, and um, something that I've always struggled with um, as I serve in ministry through my church, and, uh, and yet I'm in training, receiving clinical training, is uh, movements 
by default, have to have some kind of organization happen. I mean, human people doing things together have to have organization. And so when I hear words like uh, live generously or um, that love is the final apologetic, those are words that come from a movement. That's a movement language. Uh, uh, but something I struggle with, too, is that when we talk about investing in people, investing resources in people, that language also kind of can imply in an organization expectation of a return. And sometimes I struggle with what that means, uh, trying to live out a movement and yet within the complications of organization. Um, I think for myself, um, Korean American, I'm young, I'm single, I'm traveling in East Africa. How do I understand that, that tension of what that looks like? Uh, a, a worker from, sent from our church is German, Brazilian, planning to go to South Africa. Uh, to serve at the World Cup next year. You know, just those kinds of, uh, the world is changing much more rapidly than organizations can respond to. So in some ways, movements have to respond to that. Um, I think another attention that I even see in the title is uh, mission and aid. Um, attention is that I've encountered on the field as well as even in my training is the siloing effect that we have the, the missionaries here who are suspicious of the aid workers who are here. and. Um, the relief people who are suspicious of the development people, or um, and then the cross-cultural stuff uh, as far as assumptions that are made. And I think in some ways, member care can come up against that boundary of, um, of suspicion and fear sometimes when it's practiced. And um, so I fully agree and applaud the, that the motivation has to be love. Um, in what ways is God calling us to be the bridge? Um, in those places of, of tension and suspicion or stereotypes, um, even in the relief and development setting. Um, and, and with that caution, too, that Christian member care can become a silo itself, that um, that interdisciplinary piece has to always be there, and reaching out to people regardless of faith. Last week we had an interfaith dialogue here at Fuller. Um, in what ways can member care people be involved in interfaith dialogue as well? Um, and I think also just an, a third tension that I've encountered is uh, a lot of times we look at boundaries uh, in terms of culture, in terms of generation, in terms of uh, language and all those things. But um, I'm aware more and more of just this, the, what we call the digital divide, that it, seem, it seems that the new boundaries are going to be those who are online and offline. So how are we as, um, in terms of uh, Christian member care as well as just people who want to practice internationally going to take that into account. Um, I think about uh, in what ways can creativity um, be expressed in ways not just within mental health. I see creative methods in all the work that you've done, uh, but also how can we incorporate uh, design? There's so much social entrepreneurship happening around us. Um, people around the world, whether they're of uh, faith or not, are recognizing this need, this global response. Um, you see what Google is doing in terms of having a contest of who can solve the world's problems and uh, thinking about innovation and how can Christians and, uh, and, and member care and just Christians working in relief and development and mission settings be, be the innovators in the world and not just um, within the, the silo that can be developed. Um, and finally, I guess, uh, when I hear the voice of the Ugandan uh, worker, um, when I hear the voices from around the world, 
And we know the depth of suffering and the depth of how that tension is not just about you know, navigating you know, cultural you know, uniqueness around the world, but the depth of how much pain can go. Uh, it makes sense to me to have that specialist care. Uh, but also, how can we draw from looking at what is still present um, when you talk about resiliency? And um, there was just a paper that was published a couple of years ago uh, by some folks who, do work, who did work in Bogota, Colombia, Colombia, and they interviewed people who work with survivors of, of torture, of political violence, and of kidnapping. And, um, and found that not just were these workers experiencing what's called vicarious trauma or trauma that's experienced secondary to providing services, but there was vicarious resilience that, that by doing this work and by seeing people overcome some of the hardest things that we can ever imagine, that that actually is resilience that can be gained. And a lot of times those are happening side by side and we can't tease them apart as easily. Um, so I think as we think about research, as we think about assessment, how can we think about what is present? And if workers are not being creative, if workers are not um, uh, having some of those things that, sh that we hope to be present in people that are thriving, that that's as much as a problem if, as if there's a presence of symptoms. Um, so I guess those are some of the things that I was thinking about. Well, I want to thank all of you for inviting me as a missiologist. I feel a little bit out of my league. I'm not a mental health professional, but I actually am training folks who are going to be going and doing the work as missionaries um, in many cases, or training those who will be working with children in mission settings. And yet, I, that's what I love about Fuller, is that we are one seminary with three schools, and it's so exciting to see not only the integration of psychology and theology, but the integration of missiology now into this. And I think that's, that's really what you represent as well in bringing together these different fields. Um, my class tonight that we, we had tonight and came here instead of having class is called Ministry with Street Children. And so we talk a lot about the practicalities of what is it like to be on the, on, in the trenches with these children and trying to create ministries that, that meet the needs of children who live and work on the streets. Um, and I think that, that this is such an important topic and, and we talk more in all of our classes about self-care and I, and I like this expansion to say that it's about member care. It's about a community of people caring for one another. And it's not just about me caring for myself as I go out and do ministry, but how can I care for my team members and how can they care for me? Um, when I was in my undergraduate program, I had the pleasure of studying under Dr. Miriam Aidney, who is a Christian anthropologist and great missiologist. And I will never forget something very simple that she talked a lot about was she said, be willing to laugh and cry with the local people. That if you're going to go and be and live and be incarnational, you have to be willing to laugh and cry with them as well. And um, I think that's not always easy. We, we often try to go and, and isolate ourselves or we want to reach out to the people who we know, who speak our language, who are like us. But um, Kelly mentioned this in his work as well. And I think it's so important that we invest in those authentic friendships with nationals. Because when, in my experience in living overseas, um, there were times when I needed the, peop the, the other gringas who I could just go and talk to and say, ah, how do I deal with this? But the times when I called up my Costa Rican friends and said, and cried and said, Tita is dying, what do I do? I don't know what to do in this culture. 
that was the times when I was cared for in a way that was totally different than how the missionaries could have cared for me. So I just want to um, highlight that. I think that was really a key piece that Kelly, that, that this whole movement is drawing out, is this idea that it's not just about um, professionals, which we need. We need the professionals who are able to give us professional care, but we also need to have our teams caring for one another, and we need to be open to being cared for by the local people in the way that they know how to care for us. And that's not always easy because we don't get it. We don't understand it always. But I just encourage all of us who are going to work overseas to do that. Um, The other thing that I really liked was this um, emphasis on it not just being um, once you're over there and you're in the midst of the jungle, so to speak, that you need this care. It starts now. When I was in seminary, one of the driest times in my life spiritually was seminary. And I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say that here as well, that, you know, I'm studying about God, I'm reading all this theology, but I don't feel like I know God. I don't feel like I'm in tune with God. And that's a real danger that we have to be willing to talk about. We have to be willing to say, how do we not fall into that? Because if you're doing it here, it's going to happen over there too. And so member care, self-care, community care starts right here as we are here in this community. And we have to find ways to care for one another. We need to take advantage of the opportunities that we have to get a professional counseling while we're here, but also to share as members of a community and to grow together and to be nurtured together. Because if you practice it now, then you'll have a sense of how you can go out there and do it once you're on the field. Um, And I think you highlighted that as well. One of the things I also just wanted to mention that I think is really a neat new ministry that um, I don't know if you've all heard about, Sharon Hargrave has started here, um, I think it's technically out of this school of psychology, right, where she's doing mentoring with couples and talking about what it's like to be a couple in ministry, whether here in the States or abroad, and working through some of the issues that you need to work through as a couple so that you can be in ministry together um, overseas or here. And I think that's, that's again, that's the whole idea of starting here and starting now. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to highlight was, I think several of you have mentioned, this whole idea of um, hearing the voices of the folks elsewhere, whatever that means for us. And I really appreciated, Kelly, having actual quotes of what does it look like in India? What does it look like in Asia to do this? And to actually hear their voices. And I think we need to be much more open to that. We, we struggle, even in our classes in missiology, to get to get those voices, because often they're not, it's not published, it's not in English, and we need more research, we need more, more resources so that we can hear from the folks who are doing this in different cultures and contexts. And I, I would just also, again, encourage all of us to do that ethne to ethne and to be serious about it, to be willing to hear what the folks overseas have to say about this, because it, it looks very different from their perspective, and we need to learn from that. like to respond and I'd like to invite Michelle if you'd like to respond as well at some point. What does this trigger for you? Well first it triggers a lot of appreciation. Often one is in a place where they don't have a chance to bounce their ideas off of uh, people, colleagues, and to get uh, encouraging and critical feedback as well too. Um, There's two additional things I wanted to share that were going through my mind as I was trying to synthesize some of the diverse input. Mm -hmm. And one, uh, I was thinking of the proverb, the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 8, which says, the uh, way of the prudent person is to understand his or her way, but the folly of fools is deceit. 
Mm -hmm. I hear in different ways each of, each of you saying, what is the reality out there in the world? What are the needs? Uh, for example, uh, Christopher, you're talking about, or we're talking about the need for program evaluation. Can we really research? Do we have the courage and the transparency to research the efficacy of our member care efforts? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a real need out there. Or the reality of ethne to ethne, or kids, or so forth. Will we, do we have the courage to accurately look at what we are doing and the world in need and to see what the discrepancy and what the gaps are? What is our reality and can we look at it? That's the first thing. The second thing I've come to realize more developmentally over the years is uh, uh, pioneers, prophets and all, they all have their place, but at some point they must give way to others as well. And if not, they get in the way a bit. And we're in a season, I think, where many other people are being raising up, are, be, are rising up with prophetic voices, lots of experience, and these people are not only in the West, mm -hmm. but we need to listen to their voices because God speaks to them in terms of direction and in terms of what we need. Member care is a two-way street. Ethne to ethne member care is a two-way street. And in doing this uh, article, this section on listening to our global voices, one of my major self-criticisms, I think, were a lot of the photos I used were people in need from Asia and Africa, rather than celebrating their accomplishments, their strengths, and their massive contributions to humanity. Some of the photos were uh, some of the dire straits they were in, as well as some of their desperate cries. And that is very unbalanced because it's not just them out there that need us, but we need them as much as they need us in many ways too. And I really appreciate your perspectives and your willingness to give input about these things. So yes, this is a season where many other prophets, many other leaders need to rise up within our own ranks and within the A4 world as well too. And this is a time to have the courage to look at our reality, make adjustments, and to commit ourselves to plan change, to whatever it takes to make sure that we're doing member care well and seeing the world reached uh, for Christ. <laughs> Anything you'd like to add? I'll take the silence as no. <laughs> keep going, but let's let them um, ask Yes. I'd like to invite people who are guests. You're not part of the Fuller community. I'd like to give you the opportunity first to ask a question or make a comment. And then we'll ask the students if they'd like to make a comment. Anyone? Question you'd like to pose? Comment? All right, students. Any students that would like to make a comment, ask a question. I can't believe this. <laughs> yes, please. I'm not sure if this is um, who this is directed to, but anyone could respond on this. Um, one of my experiences in talking about. Um, <clears throat> psychology and, and, uh, and what's being done in other countries um, um, and how it impacts, for example, member care. Um, one of my experiences is that, that uh, it's just not recognised. You know, uh, people go across from the West with an attitude that they know everything or they know a lot more than the people there do. And, um, and so they're not drawing on the professional skills that exist in some of these countries. And I'm just wondering, when you talk about ethne to ethne, I mean, for example, in India, um, um, there's some phenomenal psychology schools. 
and um, phenomenal people dealing with trauma and issues there. And I'm just wondering, when you talk about ethnoethne, can we give some practical examples of how this is starting to filter back and how people are starting to engage with the expertise that's being developed in some of these um, A4 developing countries, set the global south, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but I'm not the speaker. <laughs> Gladys Mawiti is a graduate of our program. She um, coordinated the counseling after the bombing in Nairobi in 1998, came here as a student. We became good friends almost immediately. She went through the whole program, and at the very end, we, we were able to uh, garner funds for her to write a book on African indigenous Christian counseling. Hmm. And... I would say the highlight of my experience so far was to be her amanuensis, her secretary. Mm -hmm. She would write, I would edit, I'd get the references. And I remember her coming back with the first chapter. And we would meet every Thursday to talk about it. The first chapter was a summary of clinical foundations <laughs> at Fuller. And this was going to go to Africa. <laughs> what do I say? I said, Gladys, if, if you were going to begin a talk in Kenya, in Nairobi, how would you begin? Oh, with a story. <laughs> Gladys, there aren't any stories. If, if the older generation teaches the younger generation, how do they do it? Proverbs. Oh, Gladys, there aren't any proverbs. She was... It took her four chapters before she finally hit the groove. It was her chapter on her work in Rwanda after the genocide. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the chapters filled with her own native stories, mm -hmm. combined with her profound understanding of scripture and her clinical training here. We called the model a three-legged stool, an African three-legged stool, mm -hmm. a combination of biblical insight, psychological insight, and her indigenous African cultural insight. So, I think that's what you're referring to. Okay, I talked too long. More questions? I have uh, two questions. I was wondering, um, Kelly, can you address or any of our uh, panel speakers? Um, are there any particular Christian denomination that seems to be doing better in terms of uh, member care because of their theology? Uh, for example, uh, I guess not just theology, but uh, the ec ecclesiology as well. For example, the Catholics, it's uh, all very well connected versus the Protestants. Uh, uh, we have different denominations. Uh, people come from different backgrounds and getting support might be more difficult. So something like that. Uh, or uh, some theology tend to be more inclusive. Uh, do that make uh, missionary lives uh, better in terms of adjustment, and others feel that they have such a, uh, a holy kind of a mission uh, to convert and you know to, to change others, and therefore the lives become more difficult. Um, so uh, that that's that's one question. The other second one is kind of related to what I just uh, um, uh, addressed. Um, I, I tend to be very incarnational, and people keep telling me you got to keep a distance. Hmm. 
don't 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 cry and laugh all the time <laughs> with them. That that was what I was always being told. Um, people feel that I, I identify too much with the hurt hurting uh, with the local people. Um, so I like to know your opinion, or Desiree. <laughs> um, uh, what, what, what is your response uh, to people who try to help me? So, uh, first question. <laughs> Anyone sense any revelation coming your way? Uh, there were two or three basic questions that I heard at least. One has to do with, and I don't think I'm going to make a comment on this on video, are there any organizations, uh, denominations, <laughs> that seem to be excelling and working very well in member care? And is that related, a uh, corollary of that seems to be, is that related to perhaps their theology mm. or openness? Let me just say this. I think in general, coming from a Roman Catholic Jesuit background in many ways, uh, to the extent that we embrace our humanness, our humanity, I think to that extent I, our theology will be more on course. And if we're okay with being humans, I think we'll be okay with having weaknesses and struggles, and that will be reflected in our member care pro, uh, pro, uh, programs and how we treat our staff and how we model what it means to be a human in a mission context. So yes, I think there are some organizations in North America, some denominations that are doing a pretty good job, a very good job actually, in, in uh, member care and have models. I, th I think so. And I'll go back on my previous comment to the extent that we embrace reality as human beings who struggle, who are weak, both as professionals, both as mission workers and so forth, uh, that'll be a strong reflection of, um, I think, health for us. The second question uh, was what again? The second item about, oh, okay, being very empathic and connecting with the local culture, sharing freely. And for that, I have thoughts, but I'd prefer to pass it to anyone on the panel that would like to have a go with that. I could say just a couple of quick things. I can't speak for mission organizations to do a good job. I think a lot of them do. But in my experience at LinkCare, I think some of the worst cases we see are from people being sent out by sort of independent churches. Mm. They just go out without training, without, just like they're going to go out and do their thing. And uh, they come back so very wounded. And sometimes, of course, the leadership uh, has, has problems too, and that's a part of the picture. Mm. Uh, in terms of you're kind of asking a question, it sounds a little bit like boundaries and how do you, what's the appropriate, that's, it's, it's, we, we talk a lot about that link here and it's a, sometimes a hard Western concept to translate into, you know, other cultures, although it's still, there's still a role for it. I, I was in a, I get to lead a group, a men's group, and not too long ago, we have five, five men, uh, husbands who are all from Africa, and the whole 90 minutes was spent talking about how to deal with Africans asking for money. And uh, one of the gentlemen said that what he did, he thought he'd just create some uh, like office hours where that would be the time he'd be available instead of this constant 24 hours. And when, when he posted these hours, he, the first day he goes out and opens the door, and there's a line of 100 Africans waiting to see him, literally. Um, so just an example, one of the things that they concluded, a strategy that does work, is uh, they'll offer, here's, here's $20. They're asking about, here's $20, here's $20, but you won't get any more till I get repaid. And full, they say this knowing full well they're not going to see their money. But they know that because of the honor, they're not going to get asked again by this person. Uh, they're also finding working through churches uh, and saying, I gave my, my support through the church, and so go to the church. And that seems to be a good deflection as well. That, but it's, it's a, there, is a, there is a role of self-care, definitely, for survival on the field. 
and uh, that this is a really it just struck me as a really good example of that that you just can't give and give and give and burn out for Jesus uh, that might have worked or that might have been a, a mantra of past generations but not not now and it's not a good stewardship of our souls Can well, I thank just you add to that um, something that you mentioned earlier was that how when you started out that there was still this suspicion of the church and viewing mm-hmm. psychology with suspicion. And I think some of that still prevails. And I think in some ways, um, allowing people to be human, everything that we do, everything we do in leadership, it reflects our theology. And if we don't, I feel like the, a lot of the workers that I've encountered, um, it's like you go to member care when that's your white flag to surrender, as if you had to get pushed to that point in order to then ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's reflected in uh, maybe not their agency maybe they were sent from, or maybe it's reflected in their churches, or maybe the only acceptable way that you can ask for help is if it's only through prayer. And, um, and I think that, that that needs to be corrected. I think some of that um, maybe needs to be shaped or, or revisited in a mm-hmm. lot of churches still. I don't think it's completely gone. Um, and so I think that was just uh, something I wanted to add to that. Okay, good. Thank you. Let me thank the panel, and especially Kelly, for your presentation.